Um, I've deliberately put on the, all of our, my slides today, uh, leading people to love and follow Jesus. We usually have it, had it on the valance up there, and I had somebody text me this week saying, hey, why, when are we going to get that back? <laughs> and I said, why? What's the importance to you? And it was like, as I sing, as you listen to the sermon, I need to know that's why I'm here. That's what I want to learn in my time here. So I thought that was wonderful. So we're going to get that up there eventually somehow as we work through just finishing things off. <clears throat> so that's why you're here. You're here to love Jesus more and to know what it means to follow him in every area of your life. And to, uh, so as you sing and as you listen to God's word, I hope this is your, your thoughts too as you look at that statement. I want to know Jesus more. I want to follow him deeper through this. So a couple of things to say. Yeah, Jen last week fell in her kitchen, fainted for no reason, hit the back of her head on the counter, was unconscious for a little while. Her family upstairs heard a thump, came down the stairs, and there she was on the kitchen floor. Can't imagine what that was like for Travis and the kids. After yelling her name for a while, she came to, and um, she's gone to the doctors, gotten all the tests she needs, and, uh, and also to find out why she fainted, like what's going on there. So we're going to pray for her in a minute, and, uh, and then I want us to pray for our ministry volunteers. So Thursday night, she wasn't able to organize and do the stuff she normally does. She showed up, which probably wasn't a good idea. I think it might have set her back, um, but she wanted to see the families. Um, so I wouldn't mind if in groups of three, four, you pray for Jen and her family. Thank God for our volunteers, these, these uh, moms and dads that came up front, kids club, <clears throat> We got some volunteers at setting up tables and doing everything on Thursday. There's a lot of work behind. There's about 60 volunteers that Jan oversees, and so um, those volunteers are picking it up. So if you wouldn't mind just getting in groups, turn around and, and just pray a word for Jen's healing and pray for strength for all our volunteers. Lord, may the peace of Christ rule in Jen and Travis's heart and in Matt and Claire. And in our ministry, as we move forward without her guidance and ability to be here, and we pray for quick healing, give her self-discipline to not do work <laughs> when she's at home. And uh, yes, thank you for the, for the heart of the volunteers in this place, stepping up. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new with us, we'd love you to go to the foyer back corner over there and uh, let us know you were here and fill out a card, get any information about what's going on at Broadway from there. We have some information for you. If you want to give, that's also the place to give. Joanne will be there and, and you can uh, give in various electronic ways or old school with a check or cash. There you go. We had our first Wednesday morning prayer meeting at 6 a.m. There were six of us there. Um, Guy named Fraser, stand up, Fraser. Yeah. It was, it's his idea. It's his idea. And I love it when people have ideas that, Gary, we need to pray for ourselves and our city and our church. 
and he needs to be at work at 7.30, so we're starting at 6. You're also a runner, Fraser, so I looked up this stat. He does serious mountain running, and he's entering like an 85-kilometer run at the end of the summer, so I looked this up. Do you use trail mix, Fraser? Huh? How, you guys know what trail mix is? So here's a stat, interesting stat. I like to find these things out. Study finds only 0.01% of trail mix actually consumed while on a trail. <laughs> so think about that. Next time you're out for a run, jog, picnicking, you are part of the whatever the other percent is. I can't figure that out in the top of my head. Also want you to know, uh, we've been doing a lot of renovations over the year. If you're new, you see this is, this is brand new in here pretty much. And uh, we got, as you can tell, we've got to finish the entrance. So we're working on that. We're just waiting for an estimate to come in because the engineer needs to give approval for what we're doing back there um, or out in front. So please be patient. As soon as we know, we'll let you know. And um, we do have a new facilities team. Lots, I mean, this is a big building. It's an old building. And, uh, Needs a lot of work all the time. So I want you to know who our new facilities team is. It's James Dick, if you wouldn't mind standing up, and George Kindersley, John Esau, and Tony Ball. I want, I want them to stand up because I want you to go to them if things aren't right around here. Okay? <laughs> Don't come to me. So they're going to be overseeing all the rentals uh, to be completed, and, and we, there's lots of maintenance going on here. Um, and so one of the things they're going to do is have two major work bees every year, so we're probably going to have one in May, uh, just a good spring clean, kind of a Lent for the church, you know, just uh, clean the heart up here of the place. And uh, then Tony is going to be our main guy arranging probably three days, won't be every week, but maybe three days out of a month to have work bees here. If you can come during the day, there's painting, all kinds of little things to do. And so Tony will be the guy that will let you know he's the guy that'll be organizing that sort of thing. So good stuff going on. And we'll have trail mix for you uh, <laughs> when you come to uh, work here. So here we are, March 4th, 2023. You're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Doing it all in the name of Jesus. That's the last verse. So we're going to find out today what does it mean to do it all? What's doing? What's it? What's all? And what does it mean in the name of Jesus? There is a handout, um, basically the PowerPoints for you. If you want to take notes, should be a, I do 175 of them. So I'm trying to figure out how to distribute them properly because uh, not everyone uses them. So they are on a pew somewhere near you. And we take in communion. If you don't have a communion cup and you want to participate in communion, just put your hand up. And uh, if any ushers want to come forward, greeters, we need some communion cups. So keep those hands up and they will bring you a communion cup. So we're going to start in Colossians 3, verse 11. It's been a couple weeks because, uh, as we've learned, when a verse starts with the word therefore, we've got to find out why it's there. <laughs> And so here's the deal. Verse 11 of chapter 3 says, here, we'll find out what here is, 
There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And then it's, therefore, this is how you behave. This, therefore, this is what you believe. Therefore, this is how you treat each other. Because this is what it means, because everyone is the same. We all have the same identity. There's no politics of division in the church. Jesus is our truth and our identity. That's our identity. Nothing else. We are all qualified. Those who receive Jesus are qualified in the inheritance behind you too on your way up. Ryan, there'll be someone. We have hope. That's who's in the family. We have hope to be in the family of God. We have the fullness of Jesus in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory is what the Scriptures teach. This is a group of people where there's no division, that we're all dead in our sins. But God made us alive with Christ. These are the first few chapters of Colossians. And then we are raised with Christ, and so we set our hearts and our minds on the truth of Christ from above. We go after the values of the kingdom of God and not the lies and the values of the kingdom of darkness. So this describes all. And in Galatians, Paul uses male and female. All. There's no division in this place at all. This is a place where our only identity this morning is in Christ. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew. And the list goes on. Where is here? What does here mean? It's a place. It's a current place and a future place. It's the new creation in the future. It's the new heaven, the new earth. It's the things above that will come down and be on the earth. The kingdom of heaven is the place. It's a spiritual place right now, the here. But in the future, it's an actual physical place, the here. Revelation 21 says, look, God is dwelling. God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the here. That's what we're living in now spiritually. And one day we will see Jesus face to face. And we can't describe what that's like. No mind can conceive. No word can utter. No, no, no eye can see what God has planned for us. So we don't need to read books written by people who think they've gone to heaven. And come back and tell us, No. No one can conceive what it is. It's beautiful. But in the meantime, in our spiritual kingdom we have now, we put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. We take off our old self with its practices of sin. So here we go. We'll read verses 12 to 14. Therefore, because you're in the here, we're all one, there's to be absolutely no division amongst the humans. You are God's chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved by God. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sounds a little bit familiar to the fruit of the Spirit. It's not quite as full, but that's the idea. He says, put on some new clothes and keep them on. 
Some translations later on, it says these, are, these virtues, love is the main virtue. So um, you might not know what a virtue is. I actually, what's the best way to describe a virtue? It means good, pure, high quality attributes. And love is the most important piece of clothing in this list. It's the binding agent, the love is, put on the love. You know, how many of you have been in a job interview? And you might notice they're, they're not in their mind, whoever's interviewing you is kind of checking the boxes. Maybe you've done job interviews. And maybe when you're doing the job interview, you're checking the box on the kind of place that you want to work. Because you have certain attributes that you want to have in this place. So, these are attributes that we're to check the box off on. Compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient. These are the attributes to put on. And because of who you are and who, who we are to each other, and in the sight of God, we are to do this individually and together. Trouble is, Sometimes we just put the new clothes over top of the old. And that's why previously Paul said, take off, put off, get rid of all the anger and the malice and the sin practices and put on the new. And that's what communion celebrates for us. Our old self, our practices of sin are forgiven and put away and we can put them off through the power of Jesus. So that's one reason here is there's no need to follow the Jewish rules and regulations and festivals anymore is because it's all been done in Christ. And this is the foundation. So now we're given the names of the people in the Old Testament, God's holy chosen people, or the Christ followers. So verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Have you ever had a grievance against anyone? <laughs> anyone had a grievance against you? I mean, that's life. I have grievances against myself. So, Paul's a realist. The scriptures are real. And so, how can we forgive like Jesus forgives? And this is what Paul says. Look at your own life, Gary. Christ has forgiven you. And that person you might have a grievance against, guess what? Christ's forgiven them. If Christ forgives them, where does that leave me? Got to forgive them. It's a work in the heart. Sometimes it takes a lot of time, but that's what Paul says. This is the here. This is who we are. People who forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Christ has forgiven each believer. If people are to be renewed into the image of God and Christ, they will model that behavior. So a, a bitter, unforgiving person, I think Paul would, would question, have you really met Jesus? Do you really understand how much you're forgiven and that he has forgiven you? Because if you can't forgive other humans, it doesn't look like you've are forgiven by Christ because when you are forgiven by Christ you can't help but forgive others that's just how it works Paul's getting at here 
And if they have been forgiven, we will find the power to forgive as we reflect on the own forgiveness that Jesus has given us. So this place that we live in now, you know, the here, where there's no division, uh, Tom Wright from the video series that we did on Colossians, he called it, <clears throat> you and I, this place we live in now, guess what it is? It's a house of forgiveness. You get in the door, how do you get in the door of the house? How do you get into the house? What does the door say? Forgiven. Forgiven. Forgiveness gets you in the door. And the whole atmosphere, the aura, the ethos of this house is a place of forgiveness. This is the air we breathe. Forgiveness. This is what Paul is driving at. It's highly presumptuous to refuse to forgive someone whom Christ himself has forgiven. That's what Paul's getting at. That's why it's good to do communion at least once a month. Because we need to be reminded of this. Forgive as I have forgiven you. When we do the Lord's, say the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. They go together. And then verse 14, and over all these virtues that we just mentioned, put on love what binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is this binding agent. It's not an emotion. It's a decision, a decision to do good to one another, a willingness to sacrifice oneself on behalf of another. Putting the interests of others ahead of yourself. It's the opposite of a self-centered attitude. Um, I joined a dart league in the fall, and I started it off well, and uh, then had a slump, <laughs> as they say, losing all my matches to anybody who could throw a dart near the board. <laughs> then I got a little bit better, and then last week it was bad again. And someone asked how I did, and I said, I made somebody else's day. <laughs> they went home, and they had a story to tell their spouse or their neighbor or their kids. You know, so I think, oh, maybe I'm being Christ-like when I lose. I'm putting the interests of others <laughs> ahead of my own. It's fun. It's fun. And so love is the wraparound garment here. It pulls it all together. It's the binding agent. And that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's what the imitation of Christ is. It's a love that we cannot comprehend and understand. And that's why we celebrate communion. Verse 15 and 16, let me read. Let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is an interesting scripture. It says that songs teach us, and they admonish us. And Paul later, earlier on, said there's no rules to follow in Christ, but here's a rule, he says, one rule to follow, let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You are one body, one here, one place. 
We are all one. Our identity is Christ and nothing else. It's a simple metaphor. We're a single living entity. And so we must act in harmony. And that's when we talk about being on a team. Levi talked about being on a team. A team functions best in harmony with each other. They call that team chemistry, where they respect and they honor each other. And then he says, be thankful, because a thankful heart is normally a peaceful heart. And this is how we're to live in community, as one body, as one entity. So this is how you're to live. Let the peace. Here's a rule. If you want to follow, you want to be a rules-oriented Christian, here it is. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ be the referee or umpire, be the ruler in your heart. Paul uses a verb here from the athletic arena. It's a word used of a judge who settles things in any matters of dispute. And so the peace of Christ is the judge. That's what we follow. Have the peace of Christ. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs. Might be easy to, okay, psalms, okay, we have a book of psalms, that must be what he's meaning. What are hymns? And what are songs from the Spirit? So let's talk about that for a minute. Certainly applies to the Old Testament psalms that we have in, uh, in, our, in our testament. It also could be new psalms. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was, uh, it indicated that they were Jewish and Christian groups composing contemporary psalms in addition to using the ancient ones. Hymns virtually synonymous with psalms. And we see numerous new songs in the New Testament. Mary had a song in Luke 1. There's a song in Revelation. Paul includes songs composed and sung spontaneously under the direct influence of the Spirit here. And it does say in the Scriptures to sing to the Lord a new song. And when we sing songs, we've sung three so far today, and I hope when we sing the final two, you'll think a little deeper about them. I will, after hearing what I'm going to say here, about what songs should do for us. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So songs should be full full of the ideas of Christ, the words of Christ. And these songs will admonish us. That means to urge, to advise, to warn. This isn't right. And it's to dwell richly in us. These songs, we need to be, our hearts need to be stocked with good teaching, like a pantry has delicious ingredients for food. The scriptures talk a lot about food for the soul, it's a bread of life, and our songs need to be like this. We can be taught and warned through songs. It's not the primary way, but it's a great way. Because some of the songs we have warn us, guide us. My guess would be that every one of you has a song that cuts to your heart. And it might be a song that you, it's your go-to song when you need comfort, when you need teaching, when you need to be urged to walk more firmly with Christ. It's been our pattern here on New Year's Eve to have a service here, and we take hymns, favorites from people. And sometimes they'll share why it is. It's powerful. This is what songs can do for us.
They comfort us. They teach us. They urge us. They admonish us to walk with the God. They correct us. They bring us peace. And we're to do this with thankful hearts. It says, in the grace of God, we do this. And where do we do it? Sure, we do it in a building here. You do it in your car. But you do it in your hearts. That's the location of this kind of worship, this kind of guidance, this kind of teaching. It's in your heart. Have you ever been overjoyed or cried when receiving a gift? So when we sing songs, it, can, it should and could be emotional for us when we understand the impact of what the words are, that this is a, what, the gift that God has given us, the house that we live in of forgiveness. It's an irreplaceable and a priceless gift, and it should bring joy and thankfulness and maybe even some emotion. Our worship leaders, it's a difficult task to pick five songs for a Sunday. They're looking to see, does it include all these things? And then on top of that, is it singable? <laughs> Can a congregation sing it? It isn't easy. We thank God for our worship leaders, the thought and time they put into picking a song that'll teach us, urge us, admonish us, give us comfort with good theology and singable. It's tough, but they do it. Some people give criticism to worship that it's too emotional. It should be emotional. Crying is not always a sign of spiritual connection and emotion, but joy certainly is. And so there should be a sense of joy when you sing. That's what it's saying here. There's gratitude in your hearts. You're you're singing about something you've received that is priceless. It's Jesus. And then here's the the final verse, great verse. Whatever you do, just think about your life right now. You are the you. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul now closes a circle. He began in verse 6 of chapter 2. We said, continue to live your lives in him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. That means to act in the power of Jesus. Act like he did. Do stuff like he did. Live as Jesus lived. The focus here is on the nature and the character of the Lord. To do all things in the name of the Lord does not mean simply to mention Jesus' name, but to act also in concert with his nature. Don't run around yelling, Jesus is Lord, and act like a complete nuisance to everyone. You do it in the name of Jesus. You do it in the character of Jesus. We come under his authority, and we're called to conform to his character so that everything we do Let this message of Christ dwell among you. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell in you wherever you go. I'm going to connect all those verses. 
at home, at work, at play. So when you go to Canadian Tire, this is their motto. It's what each try. I think they have three triangles. Well, they used to have three triangles out on their... And it was like, here's the place to come to buy things for home, work, and play. That's what it means. Whatever you do, wherever you go, at home, at work, at play, this is where you bring the message of Christ into your office, into your family, on your teams. This worship that's talked about, this admonishing, continues. It isn't just for Sunday morning. There's a combination of words here, word and deed. Logos is word, the word for deed here is ergon, which kind of means hard, sweating work, <laughs> energy expelled. So whatever you're doing with your life, it's a common way of referring to the totality of your interactions with your world. So when you leave here and as you spend the whole week and come back Sunday, you're going to have a totality of your world where there will be words and deeds that you'll be doing. No matter where you are, how old you are, what your occupation is, what you do with your time. Everything, including what we say and we do, should be governed by the consideration of what it means to live in the place where Christ resides. Let the message of Christ dwell in you everywhere. So all of life, then, is an experience of worship. Paul said in Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is the intelligent thing to do. This is true worship. So we're commissioned, everybody, not just paid past, not just paid Christians. We're all commissioned to be Christ's representatives wherever we go, whatever we do. We're authorized and we're sent into this world to be like Jesus. Every word and deed is done for the sake and under the name of Christ. Worship takes place in the building. It takes place in the workplace. It takes place in every casual conversation you have. It's for everyone. Wherever you work, wherever you go. Wherever your feet take you is a place to do something and everything in the name of Jesus. So do a little imagining in your mind right now. Think now of your past week or your, just the last couple days. Just think about it. What did you do? What did you say? And I've, given, I've written a list of things. So when Paul says, whatever you do, wherever you go, do it all in the name of Jesus. Some of you built a house this week. Some of you installed some pipes. Some of you drove to work in slow traffic. Can you do, all, can you do that in the name of Jesus? Some of you grew some chickens this week. Some of you reconciled financial books, did some financial analyzing, did some budgeting. Some of you taught science class. Some of you organized carpet bowling. Some of you went carpet bowling. Some of you cared for dementia patients. Some of you are leading a business organization responsible for people. Do it all in the name of Jesus. Some of you are looking after a parent or a grandparent or a spouse 
or grandkid. That's what he's getting at. Do all this. It's not just the Christian things you do. Maybe go to a prayer meeting and sing in a choir, preach. No. Your whole life. Every hour of your week. And what Paul's getting at, when you go to school, when you're getting your degree, when you're working at a trade, whatever it is, you're not just doing your own thing. You're called to be there in the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus. With everything you do and everything you say, it matters. Do not think of your occupation or what you do with your time as something you do just for your eight hours and the rest of your hours are kind of ministry or worship time. No, some of the best, most important ministry and worship time will be those eight hours at work. It is a place to live out the message of Jesus. Okay, I got a story. I need to blow my nose first. Your time. We're going to talk more about it in another sermon here because it says, make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time. Make your time worthwhile. So your time at home, at work, or at play, raising a family, running a business, working for someone or an organization, humans work. It's not always fun. It's not always meaningful. But most months it pays the bills, and we do it as unto the Lord. So here's the thought for you. Take two minutes and think about this job of yours or the job you had if you're retired, whatever it is. Think about the tasks involved, the people with whom you typically associate, the work environment, the product or the service that you provide. Think about what you like with your job, what you don't like about it. And then think about what you're doing in your work life, that, in your work that matters the most. That's kind of tricky, that last one. Many of us can rattle off our daily routine to anyone who asks. And we could talk for days about what we enjoy at work, and especially what can be improved. But identifying what really matters in our work, that which has lasting significance, is another question, a critically important question. Can we really do everything in the name of Jesus in our word or deed? So to better answer this, we're going to come at it from another angle. Fast forward the tape of your work life to a few years down the road. You're now retiring. There's a dinner to honor you and all the others in your cohort who have earned the gold watch. They're there to honor you. So you look around the room. You see who's there. Who's speaking with whom? What's the mood in the place? The people seem to be enjoying themselves. From across the room, a co-worker glances over at you and whispers to a friend. The friend responds with a nod, eye contact, and a casual wave. You're not sure if they're happy to be there, if they're saying nice things about you. The time comes for the obligatory short speeches commemorating, thanking, sometimes roasting the retiree. One by one, employees come to the microphone to share stories and raise a toast. Some stories are funny, some are touching, some are merely polite. Then up steps the person slated to say a few words about you, your career, your contribution, about all that you've meant. 
to the organization. What will this person say? What is it about you that would be remembered as significant? What is it about all those years, about all that effort, that this person thinks really mattered? Let that sink in for a second. This is what Paul's driving at. Don't sell yourself short by rushing through this exercise. What's being spotlighted in this short speech? Your accomplishments, the ability to secure clients, your work ethic, your personality. What will stand out when others reflect on the job to which you gave your life? Imagine for a moment that the person at the podium now is not your coworker, but Jesus himself. He didn't have a ticket to the party, but he's there, scars and all. Unlike the other speakers, though, he elects to sit down with you, beside you, with the microphone. The room's a little quiet, more quiet than when the other people spoke. And he says your name, a smile comes across his face, a smile of caring, a smile of friendship. He says your name again. He says, I'm going to tell all you good folks what this employee did at work that really mattered. You might not have noticed, but I did. You listen in awe at what's chronicled over the next few minutes. Everyone in the room is captivated by just how different this speech is from all the others. What Jesus emphasized is important is quite unlike what was emphasized in the room by the other speakers. Had you only known Jesus' opinion about what your goal should be on the job, had you only been able to see what was preventing you from pursuing those goals, had you only heard his words decades ago, what matters most in your work? This is what Paul's driving at. What really matters? It's not the size of the paycheck, the impressiveness of the business card, not the number of battles won, the business card, the prestige, not even your productivity or quality of your work, although that's important. Work is unto the Lord, Jesus said. Instead, when it comes to your job, your time, each day, whatever you do matters most to the man with a microphone is the extent to which you were Christ-like. That's what Jesus is looking at. How you saw yourself working is to the Lord. In the name of Jesus, I'm here to serve and to be a living, breathing example of the life of Christ in my place. That's a tall task. We do not and cannot do it on our own. We need help from God and from all, everyone else. This is what Jesus wants. This is what he's driving at here. Wherever you go this week, do it all in the name of Jesus. Whatever you're doing. Later on in Colossians, he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, those not in the kingdom. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of judgment and condemnation and ridicule and mockery. It's not what it says. But that's how some Christians act and talk. No. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace. That's what Jesus is looking at wherever you work, play, and at home. Go into your week with this verse. Be encouraged by this verse. Be admonished by this verse. Wear your new wardrobe proudly and with humility. 
Bring love and peace and gentleness with whatever you do and with whatever you say. So we're going to take communion in a sec. So I hope you all have a cup. Just got to take off the first little wrap wrapping there, and that will expose the bread. It's, it's a, the clear one first. Some of you um, have, have celebrated and gone through the season of Lent, and I just want to share a bit about what Lent means. We don't observe it in some ways like other churches do. But Lent is a season to reflect on our need for the cross and to prepare our hearts to comprehend all that Jesus suffered to bring us eternal life. For all faithful observers of Lent is about what Jesus did. It prepares our hearts to comprehend all that Jesus suffered to bring us eternal life. It's about what Jesus is. And so Lent is 40 days where people just focus in on what did Jesus do on the cross. You could observe a thousand Lents, someone said, and it wouldn't even accomplish in your life what the cross that Jesus has accomplished. Nevertheless, it's a good practice. It's a way to help us and to guide us into the story of Jesus crucified, dead, and buried, and raised on the third day. So we take communion in this season. Lent, the focus is on the person and work of Christ and nothing else, and that's what communion's about. It's not about what you're giving up or sacrificing. It's about your heart and my heart and our pursuit of loving Jesus and following him. During Lent, we reflect on the truth of the incarnation, Jesus taking on human flesh, being just like us in every way, going to the cross to die for us to give, it, to give us forgiveness. As we sang, that's where we meet Jesus. So here's some verses to think about as you think of moving towards Good Friday and when we look at the cross. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 1.13, God has rescued you and I from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the new place, the new here, the kingdom of Jesus, and it's in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus spoke three times, it's recorded three times in Luke, about his upcoming death. He said this in Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed on the third day and be raised, and on the third day be raised to life. Luke 13, at that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said, you go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, but on the third day I'll reach my goal, the resurrection. He said, I'm going to press on today and tomorrow and the next, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. And then he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets, you stone those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. This is the here. Where are the chickens? <laughs> Where are the chicks? Where are the chicks? There we go. Luke 18, his third reference to his death. He took the twelve aside and told them, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about me in the Old Testament, their only testament at the time, everything that's written in the prophets about the Son of Man is going to be fulfilled at this Passover. 
I will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock me. They will insult me. They will spit on me. They will flog me and they will kill me. But on the third day, I will rise again. The disciples didn't understand, it says. Then we come to the Passover celebration, the Last Supper, as we call it. And they're doing the meal, and Jesus takes the cup, cup of redemption, and says, I'm changing things up. This cup represents my, sorry. He takes the bread, and he says, this bread represents my body. This body's going to be killed. Your sins will be nailed to the cross in this body. And he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take that little wafer. This represents the body of Christ. It represents our desire to continue to love and follow Jesus. Let's take it together. And then open up the next one. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the blood that's being poured out. It's the new covenant. It's a new agreement with God and how sins are forgiven. And it's poured out for you. Take the cup in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, who we celebrate today, that we have forgiveness of sins. And we do this until he comes back. And we experience the new here, the new heaven, and the new earth. Amen.